turn with me please tonight to John's Gospel chapter 13. We were in 14 this morning, we're going back to 13 tonight. And while you're finding the place, let me thank Brian again for his words of welcome. I'm not sure what's going on today. I've been up so early twice, they must think that the preacher's long-winded. And if you heard that in the grapevine, it's fake news. John chapter 13 tonight, I want to speak to you on the subject, a man who missed it. A man who missed it. John's Gospel chapter 13, and we'll commence at verse 18. The Lord Jesus is speaking here and he says, I speak not of you all. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it come, that when it is come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that receiveth whomsoever I send receiveth me. And he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. When Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. Then the disciples looked one on another, doubting of whom he spake. Now there was one leaning on Jesus' bosom, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him that he should ask who it should be of whom he spake. He then lying on Jesus' breast saith unto him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. When he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then said Jesus unto him, That thou doest do quickly. Now no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this unto him. For some of them thought because Judas had the bag that Jesus had said unto him, Buy those things that we have need of against the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. He then, having received the sop, went immediately out. And it was night ending there at verse 30. And let's come before the Lord and ask his help as we come to the proclamation of his word tonight. Our gracious God and loving eternal Father, we thank you again for another gospel opportunity just to open up the scriptures and to proclaim that Jesus Christ receiveth sinful men. And Father, we thank you for so many of us tonight that can say that you are our Savior personally. But Lord, our hearts go out to those tonight that still don't know you, that still have never experienced that cleansing power in the blood of the Lamb. And Lord, we ask tonight that as your word goes forth, that the Spirit of God, by its convicting power, would speak to some soul tonight that's outside of Christ and without a Saviour, and that this would be the red-letter day in their experience whenever they pass from darkness into light. They pass from death into life, and they know, Lord, that one day they will be with you in the great eternity. So, Father, we need thy help tonight. We realize again, Lord, that we can't create an anxious thought. We can't create conviction. It's only the Holy Spirit that can do it. And Father, we pray that the Holy Spirit would have free course in our midst tonight. And that through the preaching of your word, Christ again would be glorified. For we ask it in the Saviour's name. Amen. Benedict Arnold is perhaps one of the most hated men in the whole of the history of the United States of America. He was born in Connecticut and throughout his life he rose up through the ranks of the U.S. Army. He served during the American Revolution against the, the British. 
And he was looked on as someone who was a war hero, someone that climbed through the ranks of the military. He was even in that circle of power within the politicians. That was until 1777, whenever Benedict Arnold was looked over for one of the greatest offices that he ever wanted to achieve, that of Major General. To add insult to injury, he was overlooked for someone that he had trained up, someone his junior. And two months later, he was eventually given that role, but it was too late. He felt that the damage had been done to his reputation and he was going to get revenge. And so he leaked secrets to the British army about an impending invasion in the land of Canada. And he was caught red-handed. And he had to flee to England for his life. And even today, almost 350 years later, he's known as one of the most hated traitors in all of American history. John 13 tonight brings someone that really blows Benedict Water, but Benedict Arnold out of the water. Here's a man by the name of Judas. A man whose name has become synonymous with treachery and betrayal and deceit. A man who had went and made a pact with hell itself. He had made a pact with the priests to betray the Lord Jesus for what? 30 pieces of measly silver. Just the common price of a slave. The question is tonight, what did it profit Judas Iscariot to gain 30 pieces of silver, but yet to lose his own soul? I mean, here's a man and he's walked with Jesus. He's talked with Jesus. He's seen the Lord Jesus perform mighty miracles. He's heard the greatest preacher that ever walked this face of the earth. And yet here's the reality. This man was an apostle, but he was an apostate apostle. He was never born again. Here's a man and he kissed the very cheek of the Lord Jesus, and yet he's in hell tonight. Here's a man who was so near, but he missed it. A man who had the greatest privileges on this earth, yet he turned his back on the grace, the mercy, and the love of Jesus Christ. Judas presents perhaps... One of the saddest pictures of all time. Yet perhaps there's someone in the meeting tonight or watching in online. And there's parallels that can be drawn in your life. And that of Judas. You've had so many privileges. You come to a gospel preaching church like this one. You've maybe been brought up in a Christian home. You maybe tonight even have an outward form of Christianity. Yet right where you sit tonight, deep down in your heart, you know that you've never been born again. You know tonight that you've never truly repented of your sin. And Judas represents your life because you're so near, but yet you're so far. You see, you can be almost persuaded, but to be altogether lost. And that's what Judas was, to be so near, but he was so far. What a tragedy. Such was Judas Iscariot. Now to set the scene tonight, we need to remember where we are. We thought about it this morning, we're in the upper room. And the Lord Jesus is with his twelve disciples, his twelve apostles. And the Lord Jesus has performed this wonderful act, just a few verses earlier, of washing the feet of the disciples. 
And that taught them a great practical lesson, but more importantly, it taught them a great spiritual lesson. And now the Lord Jesus sets about to expose this traitor Judas, and he says down in verse 18, I speak not of you all, I know whom I have chosen. You see, Judas didn't catch the Lord Jesus off guard. Judas didn't catch the the Lord Jesus by surprise. He knew whenever he chose Judas that Judas was going to be the man to betray him. We thought about the evidence of what the Saviour knows this morning in John's Gospel. He knows what was in man. He knows the deepest need of man. He knows right where you are at tonight. He knows your spiritual condition in front of him. And he knows all about you. He knew all about Judas Iscariot. He knew what Judas would do in the future. Yet he called Judas to be one of his apostles. Now that raises many questions for us tonight. I'm not going to answer them all. But I want you to see some things in this text tonight about Judas Iscariot. First of all, I want you to see the sufficiency here of the scriptures. Because down in verse 18, the Lord Jesus says, I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. You see, Judas was a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. It was a prophecy that the psalmist David had penned over a thousand years prior to this evening in the upper room. And that scripture that was being fulfilled was back in Psalm 41. You can turn with me to Psalm 41 if you like. But you have to remember, whenever you come to an Old Testament prophecy... Oftentimes there's an immediate fulfillment. But other times there's a deeper, more spiritual, prophetical meaning. And that's what we have here in Psalm 41 and verse 9. Look at it with me. Yea, mine own familiar friend, in whom I trusted, which did eat my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. As I said, the writer of this psalm is, is David. David was a man that knew all about betrayal. And he's speaking here about a man called Ahithophel. This was David's closest counsellor, who took sides with his own son Absalom in a mutiny in a coup against David's kingship. You see, David was betrayed by someone within his own inner circle, his own familiar friend. And Ahithophel tried to use his heel against the king and against the kingdom. And that's the actual, that's the historical account of this verse. But Jesus says here in John 13 verse 18 that this is prophetical and it's directly applicable to this man Judas. You see Judas was a familiar friend to the Lord Jesus. Of course he was a disciple which meant that he spent a lot of time with the Lord Jesus. But it's interesting that whenever the Lord chose the twelve apostles, he chose eleven from the region of Galilee. In the Old Testament times, that was the region of the tribes of Naphtali and Zebulun. But only one apostle came from Judah, and that was Judas Iscariot. His name literally means Judas of Kirioth. That was a town in Judah. And you know tonight that the Lord Jesus is known as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. And whenever they walked together, all twelve plus the Lord Jesus, eleven of them were from Galilee. And then there was the Lord Jesus and there was Judas and they were from the tribe of Judah. 
And in a very unique sense, Judas was a familiar friend of the Lord Jesus and he was a trusted apostle among the other apostles. In fact, he had just eaten, eaten supper with the Lord Jesus. And now in verse 18 of our text, we see that he that eateth bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. You can almost imagine this scene in your mind's eye tonight. There's the Lord Jesus and his apostles around the table. Judas has been eating his bread. He's been pretending to be his familiar friend. He's making out that he's interested in the things of Christ. Yet here's a fraud. He's already made a pact with the priests. He's already made a pact with hell of itself, hell itself, to betray the one whom he sat facing at that table. Jesus expected it. Jesus knew all about it. And I wonder in that psychological moment, as Judas heard the Lord Jesus applying that particular scripture to him, did he not have second thoughts? Did he not realize that what he was doing was treachery? Did he not come clean? Did he not want to repent? Did he not consider the great sin that he was committing? Yet he chooses to go on with his treachery of his own free will. But yet he fulfills that prophecy to a letter. It's not amazing that before Judas was even born, the Bible prophesied of what he would do. That he would betray the precious Lord Jesus. And many years before Christ would go to the cross, the psalmist prophesied of how the Lord Jesus would die. It would be by crucifixion. Isaiah knew that he would be wounded for our transgressions. That he would be bruised for our iniquities, that the chastisement of our peace would be upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. So many prophetic scriptures that were fulfilled in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Does that not tell us something about the reliability of this book that we hold in our hands? That it's God's inspired and inerrant work. The sufficiency of the scriptures. But notice again the subtlety of the sinner tonight. You see Judas was an old hand at play acting. He was the sort of man that put on a good outward show in front of others. Yet he deceived so many. He looked like a sincere and a devoted disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. So much so that the other eleven apostles never questioned his love or his loyalty. Remember they spent three and a half years with him. I mean, they're bound to have got to know him fairly well. It seemed that all was well with Judas. That he was the real deal. Yet he was a phony, he was a fake, he was an absolute fraud. You see, man looketh on the outward appearance. And if you and I looked at Judas, you'd think he was one of God's men. He looked the part, but God looketh on the heart. Jesus Christ knew that Judas was a fake. In fact, he had intimated it to the disciples on previous occasions back in John chapter 6. He said, have not I chosen you twelve? And one of you is a devil. Imagine the Lord Jesus saying that. Yet the rest of the disciples, they never really took it in. They never expected that one of their company was an unsaved, an unregenerate man. You see, Judas played the part so well. He was a subtle sinner. You think of the privileges that Judas had. How easy it was for him just to blend into the background. How easy it was for him just to play the game on a Sunday. After all, Judas 
had the right association, hadn't they? I mean, he couldn't have got any better company. He was among the twelve apostles. He was in that inner group of the wider group of disciples chosen out by the Lord. And for three and a half years he was able to walk with these men, talk with these men, eat food with these men. And he had the right association. But not only did he have the right association, he also had the right education. For here's a man that was more educated than the finest graduate out of the finest Bible college in the world. He had the most wonderful professor of theology. You see, Judas was taught by the Lord Jesus himself. He had three years with the Son of God in the flesh. You imagine what he had seen. He had seen Jesus heal the sick. He had seen Jesus raise the dead to life again. He heard the Sermon on the Mount. He heard the parables. He had seen the great crowds that were coming to see the Lord Jesus preach. And he heard the greatest preaching from the greatest preacher that ever walked the face of the earth, Jesus Christ himself. He had the right association. He had the right education. But he also had the right reputation. I mean, Judas was the money man among the twelve apostles. He was the treasurer. And who do you get to be the treasurer of your organization? You get somebody that will handle the finances honestly. You get somebody who is competent in such matters. And Judas was given the responsibility of being the keeper of the money. See, it's interesting that whenever Jesus said down in verse 21, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me, that none of the other disciples even looked in Judas's way. Verse 22 tells us, Then the disciples looked one on another, doubting of whom he spake. They hadn't a clue because of Judas's sterling reputation among them. There was nothing in Judas's life that gave him away as being the traitor. In fact, even after the Lord Jesus has given him the sop and said that he is the traitor, the disciples, they still don't get it. They still thought Judas was one of them. They thought that Jesus had dismissed him to go out and to give something to the poor or to go and buy something for the feast. You see, Judas had the right association. He had the right education. He had the right reputation. But he also had the right participation. You see, Jesus had chosen the twelve apostles for a very special task. It was to preach, it was to witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. The word apostle literally means a sent one. Sent to preach the message of the gospel to the whosoever will. And in all probability, Judas had preached the message. Judas had shared with others casting out demons in the name of the Lord. He had probably healed the sick in the name of the Lord. He had distributed the bread at the feeding of the four and the five thousand. He had so much gospel activity, yet he wasn't saved. He was in active participation among the people of God. Yet here's a fraud. He looked the part. Sounded the part. He even had good deeds to add to his credit. Yet Judas was totally lost because he never trusted the Christ that he walked with. 1775, John Wesley, 1735, John Wesley was sent out to be a missionary in Georgia. It was then a colony of America. And after two years of work there, 
He said this, I went out to convert the Indians, but who shall convert John Wesley? You see, he had so much evangelical activity. He was doing charitable works. But yet he was never born again of the Spirit of God. I wonder, does that describe your life tonight? You have the right association among the people of God. You have the right education. You come to a church where the Bible is faithfully preached week by week. You might even have the right reputation among the people in the community, maybe even within the church. You're maybe an active participation in the church. But let me ask you tonight, do you really see it? You come in and out of here. You've had a Christian upbringing. You look the part. You act the part. But tonight you've never fully repented of your sin. Perhaps tonight you're even leading a double life. You're one thing on a Sunday and another thing during the week. Maybe tonight you've deceived the elders, you've deceived the deacons and everybody else. But let me remind you tonight that you'll never deceive God. He knows your subtlety. Judas was a subtle sinner. But not only do we see the sufficiency of the scriptures and the subtlety of the sinner. Look again at verse 26. I want you to see the sign of the sop tonight. You see, the Lord Jesus has already intimated that not all of these 12 men were saved. He brought it out from the scriptures up there in verse 18 that Judas was the fulfillment of prophecy. And the disciples, they, they didn't really understand. Not only did Jesus expose Judas from the scriptures, he also exposed him with his speech in verse 21. Verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you shall Betray me. Now that was more direct, wasn't it? So the Savior applies the scriptures. He exposes Judas by his speech, but now he's going to expose him by the sign of the sop in verse 26. Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. When he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now the sop is just really a morsel of bread. Yet there's so much more significance and symbolism in this act that the Lord Jesus is doing. If you and I went for dinner in the Middle East at that time, and we went to someone's house, and that person took a piece of bread and they dipped it in the dish and they personally handed it to us, that would mean one of two things. First of all, it was like a toast. It was uh, wishing someone good health or something like that. Something to honour the guest. But the second thing is such a a deeper thing. It was symbolising that the host was pledging himself to that guest to be his loyal friend. Irrespective of anything that had happened before, all of it was forgiven if they accepted this sign. Now, do you see the wonderful symbolism in that? In the midst of this dark and dramatic moment on Judas's pathway towards hell, the Lord is graciously offering Judas his friendship and his love and his grace and his forgiveness and his pardon, if only he'd accept it. See how merciful the Savior was being to this wicked man. Even though he had stooped so low, Christ was still merciful. This wasn't some act by Christ to bribe. Judas to go back in the plan that he had hatched with the priest. It wasn't to curry favour with him. It wasn't some sarcastic gesture. What Christ was doing in that moment, by offering Judas his son, he was pleading with him. 
It was genuine. It was a last-minute attempt to save Judas from a self-chosen hell. In spite of all that Judas had done right up to that moment, there was mercy with the Lord. If only Judas had a cried out, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner, he would have been saved in that very moment. If only Judas had have repented, he wouldn't be in hell tonight. Why? Because the Lord is merciful and he's not willing that any should perish. No matter how far Judas stooped on the ladder, with God there was, there was mercy. Let me remind you tonight that I don't know how far you've stooped on the ladder of sin. Maybe you're right at the very bottom. Jesus Christ still stands waiting and willing to save your soul if only you'd come to him and call upon the name of the Lord. He stands at your heart's door tonight and he knocks and he asks to come in. He offers you forgiveness and mercy and grace and peace with God if only you'd cry out in repentance and faith tonight. You say, preacher, you don't know how far I've gone. You don't know the lie that I'm living tonight. You don't know the situation that I've got myself into. How could Jesus Christ ever forgive me? Let me tell you, dear friend, tonight, for great sin, there's an even greater Savior. For the vilest of sinner who truly believes, a moment from Jesus a pardon receives. Tonight you're in the place where sin has taken you further than you ever wanted to go. It's cost you far more than you ever wanted to pay. But yet the good news tonight for you is that there's cleansing in the blood of Jesus. Your sins can be thrown into the sea of God's forgetfulness tonight because they're paid in full by the blood of the Lamb. If only you'd come to Christ, for Jesus Christ is merciful and Jesus will see it. Judas offered Judas the same. Not only to expose him as the traitor that he actually was, but in a final act of mercy. And Judas rejected it. Judas rejected his last chance to get right with God. And how do you know tonight that it's not your last chance to get right with God? You guaranteed tomorrow? No. God could cut off your breath tonight, just like he did with that rich farmer. He could say, tonight thy soul shall be required of thee. That rich farmer was preparing for tomorrow, but tomorrow would never come. He was preparing to do so much, build new barns, to put all the, the produce and the goods in. Yet he hadn't prepared to die. That's the way the prophet Amos tells us to prepare to meet our God. Judas hadn't prepared. And down in verse 30 we see that Judas went immediately out from the upper room, from the presence of the Saviour, to betray him. We see the sufficiency of the scriptures, the subtlety of the sinner, the sign of the sop. But notice quickly and finally with me tonight in closing, I want you to see the sorrow of the Saviour. Look up to verse 21. When, he had, when Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit. Of course, the Saviour was troubled and hurt because of his betrayal by his own familiar friend. Of course he was troubled that Satan and all of hell was on the rampage against him. And I'm sure that troubled him on some level. But you know what I believe was most troubling to the Lord? That in just a few moments time, Judas, one of the apostles that Christ had chosen to follow him, 
and to minister with him and to spend three and a half years with him. That man was about to go out over the deadline. He was about to turn his back on his final opportunity to get right with God. And that troubled the Savior. For Jesus Christ loves the lost tonight. He loves you. He's not willing that you should perish. And he has compassion upon your soul. Do you remember whenever the Lord Jesus saw the multitude, the scriptures record that he was moved with compassion on them. Because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Jesus was troubled. He was sorrowful. Because he loved this man. That man would go out into the night. In just a few hours. He would betray him with a kiss. Later on that night he would go and die a suicide's death for the treachery that he committed. And all the time Jesus loved him. My dear friend tonight Jesus Loves you too. You see, you can die tonight unsaved, but you'll never die unloved. For Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And how much did the Savior love you? So much so that God became man in the flesh. He came to that lowly manger at Bethlehem that first Christmas morning. He lived a sinless life that you and I could never live. Then you come to the Garden of Gethsemane a little later that night. And you see the Savior praying to his Father. And he's sweating great tears and great drops of blood as it were. See him being betrayed by his own familiar friend. See his back as it's lacerated like a ploughed field. See him being nailed to that Roman cross for you. See those crown of thorns being placed and dug into his head. See that spear being thrust into his side and the ruby blood flowing from it. Hear the cry from the cross, Father forgive them, for they know not what they do. See the earth going dark for those those hours. When the weight of my sin and the weight of your sin was placed upon the sinless spotless Lamb of God. That's how much he loves you. That's the price he was willing to pay to redeem your soul. The Apostle Paul could testify that the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. I wonder tonight do you realize that the Savior loves you? Maybe tonight you've come in and you're at wit's end corner. The world has turned its back upon you and you're saying tonight, preacher, nobody loves me. Let me tell you, Jesus loves you. The greater love hath no man than this, and a man lay down his life for his friends. He loved you so much that he died for you. Died to save you. Rose again for your justification, and tonight he offers you the greatest gift that you could ever receive. Salvation full and free. Tonight you can leave here. Changed by the blood of Christ. Redeemed. Saved from your sin. Judas had his final opportunity, but he spurned it. He turned his back on the Lord Jesus Christ. Dear friend, tonight, don't make the same mistake. Can you hear that voice from hell tonight? It's the voice of the Iscariot. I was one of the twelve. I heard the messages. I saw the miracles. I saw people saved. I was so close to Jesus Christ, but tonight I'm lost for all of eternity. I was so near, but I missed it. 
What about the voice of Kina Agrippa? Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. He missed it. Felix, what about you? I remember the day I trembled under conviction as the Apostle Paul preached. And I sent him away. I told him that I'd call upon him on a more convenient day. But that day never came. Rich young ruler, what about you? I wasn't far from the kingdom. I was so close. But I missed it. My dear friend, and I don't miss it. Come to Christ tonight. He loves you. He died for your sins. He died that you might go free. Let me ask you tonight, will you accept him? Will you remember Judas Iscariot? And beware of a man that was so near, but yet so far, a man who missed it. Let's buy him prayer. Father, we thank you tonight for your word. We thank you, Father, for the presence of God in our meeting. And Lord, just in the stillness and in the quietness, we ask that your spirit would move in the hearts of men and women that still don't know you. We thank you that there is mercy with the Lord, that mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me, And Father, we thank you that that grace, that mercy and pardon is still available to the whosoever will that may come tonight. Lord, as the preacher's voice grows silent, we pray that the Spirit of God would strive tonight, that you would bring that Holy Spirit conviction that only you can. And tonight we would have the joy of leading someone to the Lord that a work here would be done in grains that will last for time and for eternity, that someone that has come in tonight without Christ will leave with Christ, that their lives will be transformed, that their eternal destiny would be transformed. But, O God, tonight we pray that there would be none in this meeting or watching online that would miss it. Lord, give deciding grace, we pray. In the Saviour's name we ask it. Amen.